The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Fisgianados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Wednesday, January 23rd, and this is the Fisgianados podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email at fistianatos at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at Fistianatos Pod. It's good to be back in the saddle. I kind of got a little bit off schedule. I guess it was still once every two weeks since that last sort of, since like mid-December. Uh, but I work in the entertainment industry. We get like a week or two off. There was a little bit of vacation time. And then there was that period for boxing where we didn't have a whole lot going on. So I kind of got out my year preview show early. Great to be back in the saddle, a lot to go over, and a fun deep dive this week that came from a, a listener, Jason Tufexis. Shout out to him, and I go long on it. I mean, I could even go longer. I don't know. We'll see how we'll see how it goes. I hope I don't ramble too much, but let's dive right in. On Sunday, January 13th, we had the first PBC on FS1 card that's part of that new deal that they did. Caleb Plant beats Jose Uzgateki by unanimous decision in the main event to win Uzgateki's IBF super middleweight title. On the two televised undercards, Brandon Figueroa beats Moises Flores by KO3. And Joey Spencer just crushes Brandon Harder in a fight that didn't belong on main card television in terms of fights at all. The show does an average of 761,000 viewers, peaking at 986,000 viewers. This is a really good start for the PBC on FS1. Uh, for me, it's actually a lot more impressive than the rating the Charlos did on Big Fox a couple weeks ago, actually. Uh, I think a cynic could look at this rating and not be happy for several reasons. First is they did a huge amount of on-air advertising during the two weeks of NFL playoff games for this, and the rating didn't do amazing compared to UFC cards that they were regularly putting on FS1 for a year. So I think like in terms of being an FS1 exec, you're kind of looking at this as a replacement for those UFC FS1 cards. Like if this was a UFC card, this type of rating for FS1, it'd be okay. Like, I think they usually average a little bit more, but they don't always top a million viewers, even the peaks. Like, sometimes they do better than that. So you'd call it a mixed bag. Uh, but they definitely had numerous cards do higher ratings than this, and they also had a lot of cards do lower ratings than this, especially towards the end of that contract. What I would say to that is this was the first real boxing card on FS1. I know there was there was lower-level cards that even had some good fighters on them uh, from the PBC for a while, but they weren't on you know bigger nights, and they didn't have a whole lot of promotion behind them. You know, it, 
this also, these were good fighters. They were relatively unknown fighters. Like that's Caleb Plant, for as great of a story as he is, especially in the shoulder programming, and I think the PVC will look back at this and say, hey, we did this one right with him. Like we told his story well this way uh, with the shoulder programming and then sort of on the air. Like he's not on his own going to draw, certainly not at that kind of peak audience that almost touches that million viewer mark. He's not going to do that on his own. It was also cost controlled. Like you read those purses. None of those purses are huge. Like this is a repeatable thing that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's, a, it's a very solid rating. Now, I don't think we need to see Joey Spencer in against a guy like that. And even that Figueroa Flores fight wasn't really the highest skill thing either. Like that was, you know, I, that wasn't that fun. I mean, it was fun. It, it didn't, you, know, you weren't watching a highly skilled boxing fight, that's for sure. I watched the fight later in the evening, so I fast forward through a lot of it. It was clear to me that this whole thing was not timed out well. And even though, like, we only saw four or five rounds of action before the main event. Somehow that seemed to take forever to get to the main event. But those are small complaints given these numbers. It's a great start. Let's see how they keep it up. On Friday, January 18th, we have Oscar Rivas defeating Brian Jennings by 12th round KO on ESPN+, Plus, which felt a little bit more dramatic in the moment. And then you saw the scorecards. I will get to that later. Also on the card, Shakur Stevenson beats Jesse Rosales by KO4. Jason Sosa with a decision victory on the undercard. Obviously, there's no ratings since this was ESPN+. Plus. But a couple takeaways. First off, credit Oscar Rivas with a big win. He was actually up on the two scorecards like I referenced earlier, and rightfully so. I mean, I thought he was winning. It was a close fight, though, going into the 12th round. He kind of rallied. He made no doubt about it. I had only seen him fight once before. I hadn't seen him fight a whole lot, so I wasn't sure. And the odds makers had it as a close fight, but Jennings is like a two-to-one favorite. And, you know, Oscar Rivas, just give him a lot of credit. Like, he made no doubt about it. It's an impressive win. I don't think it does a whole lot in terms of, like, the biggest fights out there for him. You know, let's see him fight one or two more top sort of, like, that 10 to 15 level guy. But, but top guys and more activity for him, but some strong potential. And Jennings, in the whole, you know, on the whole, Jennings had a nice little comeback run. I don't really know what this means for him. Maybe he's found his level. Maybe he started boxing too late. Like, they, you know, his career narrative is just a really interesting one because he started so late, and he was a good, not elite American athlete, like in general. Like, if he was elite, an elite athlete, he would have eventually found his way to college football and the NFL, but he, but he didn't. He, he's not the most exciting of fighters out there, but he does make good television overall. Like for the, you know, granted, like these are heavyweights. Like, like it's not, you're not expecting the same action as the smaller guys. I wish he had more power, but you know, he can still make some interesting fights against those top 15 type of guys. And you know, you hate to be that vaunted gatekeeper, but as a heavyweight, you can make a lot of money doing that. So I hope that he does come back from this. I hope that, you know, like maybe this is just a weird banana peel for him and he was fighting, you know, in an awkward fight. It's This division's full of big money fights. I'd love to see him continue, you know, make this comeback, continue doing it, and stay in the mix for those top fights. As long as he's with top rank and, he, and, and top rank wants to be in the heavyweight division, he'll have some real opportunities. 
Uh, Shakur Stevenson, the narrative out there is that he's found his man strength. And I thought he looked great in the ring. I thought he's definitely growing into himself. What impressed me most was the call-out. He asked for Josh Warrington, and that could be the toughest fight out there for him right now. Oscar Valdez Valdez is also obviously a very makeable fight. They're both sort of like him and Warrington. It's both sort of big money fights. Like on the other side of the street, you've got Gary Russell Jr. and Leo Santa Cruz. Um, There's a lot of interesting fights in that division. It's one of the divisions where I think there's actually some potential to make those crossover fights because none of these guys are getting paid huge amounts of money right now. And I actually think there, you, you don't need to see those crossover fights right away. You can actually kind of build to them. And it, like, I, I think that's fine. Like, I think you, what you really want to see is Santa Cruz and Russell fight each other in 2019. You know, based on Gary Russell Jr.'s inactivity, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. Um, but I think ESPN, that side of the street can force them almost to fight, if if not in the fall of 2019, fairly soon, maybe hopefully early in 2020. I mean, ESPN can really make, they, they can, remember, Conlon's over there too, you know, maybe give Stevenson one more step-up fight, and he's probably ready for the top level. Warrington is with Frank Warren, who has the, the deal with ESPN Plus and a good relationship with Top Rank. Um, I, you know, I just think there's a lot of guys out there that, that ESPN can match up and hopefully we see them just go ahead and make some of those big fights in 20, in 2019. Also on Friday, January 18th, we've got to get through all these. This was one of those weekends where there's a lot of activity on the zone. We had Eddie Hearn show where Demetrius Andre defeats Arthur Akabov by KO 12 and then in perhaps what will be the upset of the year, Pablo Cesar Cano wins by KO1 against Jorge Linares. And remember, that was where Linares was about a 25-to-1 favorite on several sites going into the fight. Also on the card, Amanda Serrano wins by KO1 versus Eva Foraberger. TJ Doheny wins by KO11 over uh, Ryohei Takahashi. And Chris Algieri wins a decision versus Danny Gonzalez. I didn't think I'd have a whole lot to say about this card coming in, mostly because there were just crazy favorites in all these fights. I still don't have a whole lot to say about Demetrius Andre. He's obviously very talented, but not very interesting inside the ring. He could be dangerous for any of the bigger fighters out there, which is why I'd love to see him fight BJ Saunders. Like That is the true definition of a loser-leaves-town fight. We probably don't need to see the loser of that fight for a while. And the winner will have a legit case to get a big fight at middleweight. I mean, you know, styles be damned. Like, the, that's what's in store for the winner. I'm going to talk about the stoppage victory in this one. Um, you know, I'm fine with stay busy fights. This is what I'll say. I'm fine with stay busy fights. They shouldn't be headlining to zone cards. Right? The big one here, though, is Cano's win over Linares. This shocked me. It shocked most people. I really like watching Jorge Linares fight and, you know, it doesn't sound like he's going to end his career. This would be a potentially sad way to do it. It might be even worse if he continues fighting. I was actually at his fight against Antonio DeMarco on that Hopkins Dawson pay-per-view undercard. I mean, God, that might've been a decade ago at this point. And I was actually sitting right behind DeMarco's family during the fight. It was a crazy thing to watch. 
Again, I really like Lenara's style-wise. He's always been vulnerable to getting hit in weird ways. I think it happened with Sergio Thompson as well. I'm spitballing off memory here, but like, I guess I just hope this is a career for him. He's had some decent paydays. If this was the first time we'd seen him stop like this, I'd call it freakish, but we've seen it a couple times now. So I don't know, maybe those odds weren't crazy. Maybe, maybe this was a closer fight, but it just goes one of two ways. Like This happens a lot in boxing where... It's a fight like this where if Cano just comes in and, and, and gets him and nails him, then it seems like a dominant victory for Cano, but we all know that if this probably would have gotten to the third or fourth round and Linares would have found his groove, he probably just would have won every single round. Either way, I mean, incredibly exciting fight, and it kind of like salvaged the card for me. I mean, I wasn't really looking forward to watching this card, and this made it a lot of fun. As far as what it means for Cano, hopefully he uses this to get a big fight and a nice payday. You know, his recent run wasn't super indicative of a future, like a, a fighter with a bright future, I'd say. But this is great for him. I mean, if he still has it, he's not that old. And yes, and, and he's fought some good fighters really tough. He will have several options on DAZN. I think it's great for him. Um, the other fights on this card, like, they don't mean a whole lot to me. I like TJ Doheny. I like Amanda Serrano. I like Chris Algieri. Let's see them in more interesting fights against tougher opposition moving forward. On Saturday, January 19th, Manny Pacquiao defeats Adrian Broner by unanimous decision. Also on the card, Marcus Brown defeats Badu Jack by unanimous decision for a vacant bullshit WBA interim light heavyweight title. Nordin Ubali wins by unanimous decision over Rashi Warren for a vacant WBC bantamweight title, and Hugo Ruiz defeats Alberto Guevara, rather than Jack DePore, who missed weight by a whopping five and a half pounds. Let's talk about the undercard stuff here first. Kudos to Marcus Brown. The odds opened as high as four to one to Jack. They dropped all the way down to two to one or even under. I personally made Jack about a three to one favorite. That was probably too much based on his last performance against Stevenson. Brown was awkward. He clearly won. I had not been super impressed by him in his last few fights. I was very impressed this time. I'm not sure exactly how tough he'd be for the current champs at light heavyweight. This is a really tough competitive division, but his awkwardness alone could present issues. Uh, I'm not sure I'd favor him against anybody. He's a live dog against everyone. I definitely want to see more. I think the big question for him is what can happen at that weight class on his side of the street. You hate to come back to this, but it's true. Is he going to get that opportunity to unify? Uh, and look, the good news for him is the PBC was willing to send him to HBO to fight Kovalev last year. So maybe this is a scenario where he gets a chance to go to another platform, you know, in a fight or two, because, you know, I'm not sure what exactly is there for him on the PBC side. Maybe they'll have him fight in front of a bigger audience first, just against, you know, a, a lesser opponent. Um, must be noted, this pay-per-view faced major competition from the UFC on ESPN, which was the second rated cable program of the evening, following the top rated program of the evening, which was that Duke, Virginia college basketball game. The UFC fight averaged just under 2 million viewers. It got a 0.8 rating, and it should be noted that the ESPN, they put out a press release saying that they had 568,000 subscribers sign up for ESPN Plus on Friday and Saturday, clearly for the UFC fights that followed exclusively on Plus. I'm going to leave it at this. 
Next episode, I think this is going to be my deep dive. I'm super interested in this topic, and we'll get to this in the preview section, but boxing, you know, they're doing a really similar thing for boxing. If I was top rank, I would have taken notes all weekend. I would have seen exactly what ESPN was doing on the Plus platform for UFC and on the regular platform too. Um, And I'll talk a lot more about this next time. But let's move on to Pac Broner. Let's start with the pay-per-view numbers. It looks like, and I'm recording this at like 6 o'clock, so it looks like it'll do just around what Wilder Fury did, maybe a tad more. There are some reports coming out where the number might be higher. I think there's two ways to think about this right now. I thought there was a pathway to that Wilder Fury number, but I thought it wasn't likely, like it wasn't the most likely pathway. Honestly, I thought it would do a lot worse. And I I probably made that prediction to make a point that this isn't going to make money. Let's get to that a little bit later. I do think the weather on, on much of the East Coast did provide a solid bump for this. There's clear evidence it did it for the NFL games the following day. Um, and that's that's great. Look, there were a lot of challenges into the, going into this fight. I kind of laid them out like in numerous places um, as, as a guest on other podcasts, in the last podcast, in writing. I expected lower numbers. The, the pathways to success for this, it, this was kind of the best case scenario, I think, actually. And either way, Given the Keith Iduck report on how much Pac's guaranteed salary was, I guess I just, my overall point here is I don't think it matters all that much. Because if Keith is correct, and I think he is, I mean, he's a great reporter, then $20 million guaranteed to Pacquiao probably meant that this was a warm-up fight for Mayweather. I mean, maybe this gives some other options, but this this is, this fight loses money. That's I guess that's the real... Takeaway here, Broner got a chance to rehab his career, but if that $20 million number number is right, in Pack and Broner's guaranteed paydays alone, I mean, if I'm being generous, this pay-per-view had to hit six or 650 in sales just to even like sniff break-even. I mean, Broner was supposedly guaranteed 4 million. Given all the other costs associated with putting on a pay-per-view, and I mean, anyone who's listened to me talk should be aware that, you know, even for a fight that's expected to barely top 250,000 buys, like the other costs like easily are into seven figures. And and for fights that you're expecting double that, I mean, they, they go up a lot. It's, it's just impossible to reconcile the reported buys with what they paid. Now, given that Heyman takes a percentage of what Broner and Pacquiao make and probably limits promoter upside his margins are going to be a lot nicer than if this was a traditional promotional company putting out a pay-per-view. But the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about this is who paid Manny Pacquiao's taxes or his tax penalty or whatever that was. Because if it was Al Heyman and the PBC, then that's different than Showtime. And Keith Eidek is also reporting that it was Heyman who paid it, which I actually think, look, that's great news because if Showtime paid it, then ultimately consumers are going to bear the burden somehow. In some ways, actually, for the people listening to this, oddly, your best hope in all of this is that Mayweather Pacquiao 2 actually gets made because you probably won't buy it and a bunch of casuals are ultimately going to be bearing the cost, which is great. I mean, that's kind of the best case scenario in a lot of ways. And let's look at why this is. I mean, if Al paid Pac's guarantee and Showtime can come off and say that this wasn't a money loser for him, 
Showtime's programming is not going to be affected. I mean, that's great for you. If Al's a smart guy, and he is, he's not just paying this out of the generosity of his heart to fans. I mean, the real beneficiary of this is going to be Pacquiao's next opponent, whether it's Mayweather or not. I mean, he'll likely be helping sort of pay that back over, like the the next opponent, let's say it's not Mayweather, they'll probably have to take a slightly normal, like lower salary than normal given the profile of that fight. But more importantly, they'll get the opportunity to fight and hopefully if it's Spencer Thurman, be a favorite against Pac and, and beat him and get that rub. I mean, I'm not sure at this point there's the, I mean, there's clearly not the same benefits from beating him as there was uh, several years ago. Like, even if he did fight in one of those bigger sort of Thurman or Spence pay-per-views, you're still not talking a whole lot more. Even then, whatever the, the, the top number is for this, maybe it's a little bit more, but you're not hitting that, like, vaunted million-dollar buy mark or anything like that. At least now. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe that changes in the next few months. Um, and, and I guess my point overall is that you're still in, even if it hits 500,000, which would be great, you're still in boxing hardcore audience. Like you're not necessarily crossing over. I mean, you can actually, one of the funny things about this fight is you can actually make a strong argument that Broner may have brought more casual boxing fans to this fight than Pacquiao at this point in their careers. I mean, Pacquiao certainly has the name for it, but Maybe bro, maybe part of the reason this is going to trend upward towards 350 or 400 in terms of buys is Broner truly did bring a fan base to pay-per-view. I mean, he hadn't had the opportunity to do that before. You always wonder whether a fighter can do that, but maybe he did. And, and great for him if he did it. You know, either way, I guess, Errol Spencer, Keith Thurman, they aren't going to necessarily build their brand with casual audiences in a real way by beating Pacquiao. I think it's a great name for their ledger for their next fight. Um, but I guess my, my biggest point out of all this, other than Al probably just took a loss for future gain for one of his fighters, um, which is great for his fighters. That is fantastic for his fighters. That's an investment in the future. I mean, that's why they th- that's one of the reasons why they thank Al Heyman. I think probably what they did, the most realistic pathway out of this is Al just took a loss and he'll make whatever it is back and more if Mayweather takes that fight. I mean, that's, I think that's the most realistic thing. This fight, if it does really hit 400, it does open up other possibilities. It does open up a Spence or Thurman fight um, because Al's loss wouldn't be as much and it's probably worth it for whatever you're going to end up gaining, especially if it's Spence's career, because Thurman has to really show he's interested in taking like several high-level fights again before I would put that investment in him personally. But I still think the biggest fight out there is you just make Pacquiao Mayweather. It it kind of sucks because it it you know it leads to nothing, but. In terms of you, the people who are listening to this, that sort of the hardcore boxing audience, that's probably fine. Like you can just go to one of your friend's parties and be the knowledgeable boxing fan who shows up and doesn't have to pay for a pay-per-view. Let's move on to the marketing. I think this is significant here. One of the things that you can really criticize Showtime for is how they marketed this fight in general. And I'm not necessarily talking about the media buy 
Um, I did get targeted at the very end of this, but I, but, and, and I can't say I watched a whole lot of television in the few days leading up to this. Um, I, 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 you know, just to be perfectly honest, I didn't, I was really busy at work and didn't, but I'm more talking here about how this entire fight was presented to the public. No one ever really articulated to me why I was seeing this fight. You know, while I was at HBO, this was something that I thought the pay-per-view and the marketing groups did pretty well. I mean, even in really cynical scenarios, because, well, first of all, there were definitely cynical scenarios. I mean, I'll give you an example here. Like, specifically in one fight, like, I'm I'm sitting in, the, in a meeting and both the fighters... Like there, there's a big sort of group meeting and it's, and it's for the Ward Kovla fight. It's for the first one of those fights and the promoters are all here and they're going through everything. We're having this large group discussion focusing on why this fight is important and what are the big themes to, themes to keep in mind, you know, and it's, it's really, it's actually like pretty intelligent stuff. And we kind of land on this idea that it's only, I think it's like the second or third time. I can't remember which it was exactly where there was a fight between two top five pound-for-pound fighters since the Ring magazine pound-for-pound rankings came out. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about it. I'll be honest, I actually did not think it was a great take because I think it just took, it, the whole statement took too long to explain to people beyond core fans. Um, but that's beside the point because I actually think the spirit of the idea was pretty good. Like you're seeing the best fight the best, like, and it hasn't happened all that often. But in the back of my head, and trust me, I know other people from HBO were thinking this as well. You're sitting there thinking like, hey, you want to know why we're seeing this fight? We're seeing this fight because we here at HBO don't have the budget to put it on the network. Because in the salad days of HBO boxing, this is a fight that would 100% be on the network as a cornerstone element of your subscription. So you, the boxing-loving audience, you're getting this fight because we are giving you less than we used to give you. If you look at the true root of why you're seeing this fight, is because we couldn't go to our superiors and get more money for a fight like this. We may tell you something different in the marketing materials, but you're probably smart enough to figure out what the case really is and that's one of the reasons why the fight underperformed. Going back to Pat Broner, why were we given this fight? Like I just said, the boxing hardcore audience is a pretty discerning customer. I am now one of them. And they know when they're given a poo-poo platter. Like, this wasn't a poo-poo platter. I think everybody thought this would be fun in the ring. It actually probably didn't turn out to be that fun. But this fight didn't mean anything. It's a prelude to what is probably going to be an expensive summer blockbuster that most people listening to this podcast have very little interest in watching, like just a bunch of empty calories. Now, maybe it's a prelude to, to like a passing of the torch fight, and I'd be way more interested in that kind of fight, like I said earlier, like a Thurman or Spence type of fight, but that's what it wasn't how it was presented to us. Why are we getting this fight? Well, if I'm being cynical, it's because Manny Pacquiao didn't pay his taxes and he wants to fight Floyd Mayweather again because he needs the money. So the PBC apparently had to front him the money to pay his taxes so he could fight in the United States. And they had to do it as part of this deal where Broner was the right intro opponent. You get Pac back into the public eye. Broner brings a strong regular TV audience. And if he could pull the upset, 
You can probably have him fight Mayweather, Spencer, Thurman, and that's a decent backup plan. But if Pac wins and does okay on the finance side, well, then you can either have him fight that sort of passing of the torch fight with Spencer Thurman, so one of those guys can get the rub if they beat Pac, or if it loses a ton of money, you just have him go fight Mayweather and make a shit ton of money and not worried about it. That all sounds great in theory, but in reality, I don't have too much of a tolerance for Manny not paying his taxes. I pay my taxes, and I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast do as well. And it's really not that hard to pay your taxes, especially if you're making over $100 million for a fight that you had to pay taxes on. I like Manny, but he doesn't have a real title. He's a lot of fun, but he's not $75 fun when I just paid $5 on ESPN Plus and on regular ESPN to watch his last two fights. And now you're going to give me like this slew of pay-per-views in the next few months. I will say, though, despite all of my negativity towards it, and you're going to hear more from me in the coming weeks because I don't like sort of any of these level pay-per-views where they're at least like breaking even or not losing a crazy amount of money. Like the number, here's what I will say. The number is high enough that now there's going to be other options for PAC where maybe there is a pathway to at least breaking even on the next fight especially if they give him a responsible salary. And for him as a fighter and for the PBC as a whole, like as an organization, there's going to be opportunities to give fighters like Dispenses and Thurman's great opportunities to advance their career. Like that's a great thing. For the consumer, this is not a good thing because you're just going to get more of it. And I do believe there is the TV money out there to make some of these bigger fights on regular TV. I mean, not this one apparently because of Pacquiao's tax situation, but other ones like this. Okay, touching on that point for the deep dive of this episode, like I said earlier, Jason Tufexis, who I believe now has a podcast of his own, uh, he gave me a great idea for this. He, I, I wanted to riff off of this idea. He gave it to me a couple weeks ago, which was what is the darkest sort of worst case scenario in this brave new world that we're entering in terms of like how everything here can go. And I want to emphasize here before I start, I hope all these deals are successful. Even if I point out things that I don't like about certain agreements, I really hope the end result is that the issue gets dealt with and ultimately these deals end up successful and it ends up being good for both the fighters and the fans. I want to look at this on an individual platform level but also keeping in mind that one of the major market forces, like one of the elements that the press hasn't talked enough about is fighter pay. And actually a couple shout outs here. The MM Media wrote about it a little bit. Mookie Alexander wrote a nice article on it. On the boxing side, Steve Kim kind of touched on it in an article on ESPN. It was probably more about network divides. And But no one's really getting into this that much. And the market for fighter pay and boxers, especially those with titles, or like former champs, high-level contenders, that sort of top 10 or 15 in each weight class, or certainly top 5 or 6 in each weight class, that is booming like we've never seen before. And there's positives and negatives that come with it. But one of the major negative effects for consumers right now is that some of the platforms have changed the pay scale for fighters. And because of that, the other platforms have had to adjust theirs as well, but they haven't necessarily fully updated the other elements of their programming, specifically their budgets as the top thing. 
Like we're still in a world where we're defining what a successful main event salary is for a champ who goes on ESPN and does like an average of 750,000 viewers versus one that kind of does like 2 million viewers and it's the top rated cable show of the night or the number two or three rated cable show of the night. We're only beginning to figure out what a main event headliner should make on Fox for a show that does 1.8 million viewers or let's say one that does 2.5 or 3 million viewers. But before we get too much into the nitty gritty here, we know what this market is for Showtime in 2017 and 2018. We know that. DAZN, ESPN Plus, they're streaming services that have put the system totally out of whack in one way. And then ESPN and Fox are adjusting the system to a tried and true method in terms of ad sales. I mean, DAZN and ESPN Plus are just looking for subs. And to get those initial subs, you got to pay a lot of money. But it may end up being worth it if you actually do hit those numbers like ESPN Plus just did on the UFC side where you get sustainable amount of subscribers. Why does this all matter, you may ask? Well, one of the ways that this whole thing can go south pretty quickly is if the market ceases to sustain fighter salaries the way that they are currently. I mean, Eddie Hearn, among other promoters, has talked about how overpaid fighters are in the U.S. And I think that's a debate for a different day. I mean, I would contend that that's a blanketed statement. And there are many fighters that are overpaid for certain fights, but there are also many fighters that are underpaid for certain fights as well. Either way, if fighters truly are being overpaid and the system isn't able to correct itself, that's one way where you could start to see bad things happen on the horizon. And that's actually where I want to start because pay-per-view in the current system is ripe here with this kind of potential. If all this new money has increased the, the salaries of fighters, but the market doesn't react the right way, don't kid yourself. You're going to see some weird outcomes. First of all, you'll just see networks having to take much bigger chances on pay-per-view, which is a topic I've covered at length before. I mean, let's use the Deontay Wilder as an example. Showtime probably had to pay him a much larger guarantee than I'm sure they were comfortable with to get the Tyson Fury fight. If that fight didn't perform as well as it ended up doing, Showtime would have lost money. And I promise you, at the rate we are seeing pay-per-views, someone is going to lose a lot of money. I mean, Heyman clearly lost money on Pacquiao. Now, maybe he didn't lose as much money and maybe he can make it up with other fights. But at a certain point, and this kind of happened like 10 or 12 years ago at HBO, you just start putting on too many pay-per-views and maybe the fans buy them at first, but eventually they just stop. And even worse, it has this cumulative effect of decreasing the quality of your week-in, week-out boxing that comes on the network. Now, at the end of the day, I won't fault Fox or ESPN too much for that because Fox is available for, for free. And most people are just, especially people listening to this, I mean, if you're a core sports fan, you're probably just getting ESPN in your cable or streaming package no matter what. Like, you're not getting it specifically for boxing. But Showtime, I mean, we shouldn't be seeing more than a few bigger fights on pay-per-view coming from them. I mean, just look at the excellent year they had in 2018. They only put one pay-per-view fight on in December. I mean, it's kind of like a borderline show. Probably helped from the fact that it was only the second pay-per-view of the year, and you could make a legit argument that the theme of the fight warranted it being on pay-per-view. But back to the regular week-in, week-out boxing, they had some serious depth on their cards. I mean, stuff like Charlo Trout, like that was a good example of a high-end undercard fight that we saw on Showtime. 
I don't even know if we'll see a fight of that quality as a main event on Fox, like maybe besides that Porter Ugas fight on, on in March. If you want to see how that goes away and how the next level of fights as well go away, just look at what's happening in the UK right now. I mean, Eddie Hearn's matchroom cards that are on regular Sky, they're of much lower quality than a lot of what we regularly get in America. I mean, even the stuff that we call lower quality, it's not... It's not even the same as what they're dealing with. The A-level stuff on the UK is all pay-per-view. Now, granted, it's much cheaper than it is in the United States, but there were like 11 or 12 pay-per-view cards in the UK this year. I mean, they're two on the same night, in that, like in one of the in December 22nd. And while the talent pool for, for boxing is incredibly deep there right now, like nothing should justify that. We shouldn't be getting 11 or 12 pay-per-view cards. The system is out of whack. And if this happens in the United States, if Showtime ends up at that point where HBO was 10 or 12 years ago, where there's like eight or more pay-per-view cards, like why even bother? And while I single out Showtime here, just as an example, trust me, like this works in congruence with many other factors that can lead to the slope getting much more slippery. Let's go into some practical realities now. And I think it'll make it easier to understand as we get out of the theoretical and much more into the real stuff. Like let's look at the zone first. I love DAZN's business model. It has all the ingredients for success from a business development standpoint, but we're no longer in business development. DAZN is in subscriber acquisition mode, and if they don't start doing what they claim to do, delivering pay-per-view level fights several times a year and then high-quality fights in between, it's easy to see how everything could head south pretty quickly. I mean, there are some promising signs coming out of this. The Canelo-Jacobs fight is great news. And then there were other big fighters either in reported talks or who've already signed up to fight on DAZN. But if it's all showcase fights with very few exceptions and fans aren't buying it, then DAZN is going to turn elsewhere to get content and subscribers in the United States. One of the things I want to emphasize here is DAZN is a legit established company around the world. While the U.S. portion of their company is essentially a startup, their company is not a startup. What this means is they're just going to start looking elsewhere, outside of combat sports for subs. It could happen. I mean, how it goes south for them is pretty easy to identify. And it goes back to that year-end review show I did for them that I just mentioned. Like, we've seen that their Matchroom UK pay-per-view cards are pretty good. But they don't have those exclusively. We don't really know what's going on with the World Boxing Super Series, which is great content. I mean, that for, for my money, that's been really high-level boxing so far, especially in the semifinal and final rounds. And yes, we're seeing some high-level fighters and some high-level fights getting made, but we've seen very limited evidence that Matchroom and Golden Boy have real intentions of putting on consistently strong fights in between the bigger events. Again, I don't really think DAZN is going anywhere, the Canelo contract, for as big as it sounds, like that's not going to bankrupt them. That's really not that big in the greater scheme of what sports right cost. But they may start diverting their resources to other sports, soccer especially, pretty quick if they don't see results in the combat sports space. And the key thing with the zone, which we will go into later, is the ripple effects that come from this. Because they have reset the marketplace in a few different ways. And there would be a huge impact if they decided to leave boxing early or dramatically reduce their footprint in the sport. Let's move on to ESPN and their deal with Top Rank. Before we get too deep into ESPN and Showtime, 
I want to emphasize that I think the chances of things heading south, especially in 2019 for places, for these places, isn't high. But let's go through the mental exercise. Let's see what it looks like. For ESPN, I think it's pretty straightforward. The worst case scenario here is that Top Rank does something that every promoter with an exclusive deal on a network has traditionally done over time and start to make increasingly worse fights and take, you know, just sort of taking top dollar for them. They would probably have to just do it much faster on the linear network. And what that would mean is all the positive elements you've seen out of the top rank ESPN deal sort of working together, like these scheduling experiments and stuff like that, that would start to go away. Like no more Crawford fights out after Alabama football games that draw these great lead-in audiences and then get huge peak audiences. No more boxing after NBA games or the Heisman presentation. It just becomes a standalone filler for times in the year when ESPN is lacking programming and it's just sort of forced to fend for itself. Like, no more promotion on other ESPN programming. And I'm not speaking about shoulder programming necessarily. I'm talking about no more boxers as guests on First Take or in this, you know, Get Up or in some of those other shows. That's always going to be a risk. I mean, I think the added wrinkle for Top Rank comes with the ESPN Plus platform. One of the unique things we've seen with the Top Rank deal with ESPN is that it really serves two masters. And I'm not sure enough proper analysis has been done on this. I don't want to go into too much of a tangent on it here right now, but clearly Disney, on the whole, is putting a lot of emphasis on building the Plus platform. They've spent lots of money getting programming for the platform, and they clearly don't care if they lose money on that particular part of their business. But in terms of top rank, the big risk is that boxing, which has clearly been an early tenant for ESPN+, Plus, that it's used to build upon is no longer viewed as, as important as other things. And I want to emphasize, this is not likely for 2019, but this isn't crazy. So if you compare the push that ESPN did for the UFC this past weekend to what they've done for top-ranked boxing events in the past, I mean, that's really something to monitor. I'll get into that more next episode, for sure. But it's really something to take a look at. I mean, one of the things this podcast has driven home over the course of 2018 is that there is a reason boxing is used by these streaming entities to build their subscribership numbers. It profiles as one of the best sports out there to build these kind of things. Like there's no major rights deal required, so you don't have to make multi-year billion or hundred million dollar commitments that you have to do in almost every other professional sports league. You don't have to wait out for certain rights deals to finish. I mean, you can just jump right in. Lots of people have covered this part where boxing has been used almost every time in the history. There's a new platform. Like it's always been first radio, TV, cable TV, you know, just look at the history of HBO. I mean, it used boxing very early on to build its sub numbers. And then the sport had a slow decline on the network as it became less and less important over time. You've heard this narrative, but in this new world, it's not crazy to think that this process couldn't be dramatically accelerated. I think the scenario where we'd see something like this probably comes from a world in which subscriptions to ESPN Plus deliver pretty good but not great numbers. Like especially in college football, like let's say if college football or the UFC becomes a huge driver of subs, and we've already kind of seen solid evidence of this, then there's a pathway where we see a scenario where like let's say boxing was a major factor in getting plus off the ground and it certainly gave them like solid six-figure sub numbers but what if college football and UFC get a lot more? 
I mean, UFC already, they did 568,000 subs in a two-day buildup. And what if those overall numbers are pretty underwhelming? Like in a year or two, they are somewhere around 1.5 to 2 million subs, but they're spending like they have 6 or 7 million subs on the programming. They're going to focus on the more big-ticket items that are underperforming at that point because the Disney stock price rests on the company being able to figure out how to at least get like two or three OTT platforms up and running with a bright outlook. Like ESPN Plus is just one of them. Like they got a whole other, at least one or two other Disney OTT setups to to do. If it turns out that Plus is exceeding expectations in the sub department, I actually think you'll just continue to see a lot of high-level boxing there. I mean, even if it's like, and I actually think if it's really underperforming, I think you might kind of see the same thing because boxing has been successful so far. So it's, it's really like a tight window for, an ES, for ESPN Plus where it could go south. Like, I'm kind of spitballing on this, but because, you know, I don't really think it's a likely scenario, but that's what this episode is. Like, that's the fun of kind of diving into this. If it does happen, it wouldn't be great for top rank. They're building their company on the notion that they not only have the ESPN platform, but they also have the Plus platform with lots of extra dates and money. And if that were to go away, even over time, it could cause some serious issues in how they pitch new talent to come aboard, but also how many fighters they can keep on their roster and how they can build their fighters' careers, how active they can keep them, and how much money they need to pay them. Okay, let's shift over to the PBC and talk about both of their network deals. Let's start with Showtime, which probably isn't as stable as the top-ranked ESPN deal, but I'd say it's still pretty close in terms of overall strength and stability. I think there are really only two ways. There are two reasons to say it's not as stable as ESPN, and I think they're fairly obvious. One, which is really what applies to 2019 in this discussion, is Are we going to see the same level of fights that we saw in 2018 on Showtime now that the PBC is splitting their roster between two platforms? You know, because we really saw some high-quality stuff in 2018. 2017 wasn't bad at all either. We we didn't see a huge volume. Let's put it that way. We saw lots of depth in terms of interesting undercard fights and bigger-name fighters on undercards. And now that PBC has a lot of fight cards to deliver, like they have so much content to give to Fox, like you'd have to think that while you will still likely see some big fights on Showtime, the overall level of depth on the cards and the depth in terms of main event quality, there's a real pathway to Showtime not as having, you know, quite as strong of a year. I mean, how bad could it get? I don't think it'll get crazy bad, but it certainly could get bad. At the end of going through each platform, I want to talk about the compounding effects of each of them, and I'll hold off on that for a little bit. The second thing here that could really affect Showtime and that I, along with many other people, pointed out is the same thing that happened to HBO that could easily happen to Showtime. Not in 2019, but it it could in the longer term and and maybe shorter than most people think. Bobby Aram and Eddie Hearn have been the most vociferous proponents of this, and I think they've been extremely aggressive in their predictions for when it could happen. But I do think this is a big risk here. I mean, here's the argument from the C-suite. Like, if you're Showtime, as you transition into what will certainly be the CBS OTT family of offerings that's going to have to compete with Warner Media's version, Disney's version, Netflix, and whoever else is out there, what matters on a global scale for a company like Showtime is having as many bites at the Apple to make a hit series. 
Now, maybe one day CBS Sports has a version of this where boxing might be important. Like, I actually thought that with the amount of sports properties Turner had, it would have been smart for Time Warner to stay invested in boxing and maybe just switch the HBO boxing operations and the HBO boxing brand over to Turner. But they didn't do that. And if you're HBO, like, you're given a mandate to come up with all this content that travels around the world, you know, like, you're just going to switch your budget over to the series. I mean, that's basically what happened. Even if you're keeping sports, you're switching the mandate for sports to documentaries and docu-series that's more focused on international material. And I mean, guess what? Like, that's what happens. That's what's happening right now at Netflix and Amazon with their sports material. They don't want U.S.-centric content. Like, they want content that travels around the world. It's not crazy to think that even in two or three years, but certainly in four or five, Showtime looks at what they're spending on boxing and they say, hey, we need to make another hour-long drama instead or two more half-hour comedies or something like that. Boxing isn't necessarily part of their core business, and when the going gets tough, it's not crazy to have a difficult internal discussion with regards to sports. I mean, remember, too, Les Moonves was a huge boxing fan, and while it appears that new leadership also seems to like the sport, if there is this, you know, sort of instability in this role and an outsider comes in, like, you can't count on the same commitment to boxing. Again, I want to emphasize here, I don't think this is a major threat in 2019 or probably even in 2020. But it is a major long-term threat. Now, maybe, like I mentioned earlier, you can just sort of switch it from Showtime to CBS Sports, especially if they do a different sports app. But trust me, this conversation is going to be inevitable. My hope is that they look at boxing in the context of that greater CBS Sports thing than just a piece of programming on Showtime, but you never know. Okay, rounding out the platform discussion is Fox and the PBC deal here. I won't spend as much time on this because I talked about it last episode as a major story to watch in 2019. Um, As I've said numerous times, this deal has an incredibly high variance level and the pathway for it to go south is very real. Like maybe just as real as the zone. Like quick summary from last episode. I think there are a lot of contingencies in this deal. I think it could be worth a lot of money if all the goals are met. Some of the goals might be viewership based. Some of them might be pay-per-view sale based. It's pretty easy to paint a picture for how this goes south because the announced fights, the fights that are announced right now, they aren't great. And like, like I said last week, if the PBC is behaving irresponsibly with the money, especially considering how much Fox is spending on shoulder programming, like they have clearly not skimped out on that, then the fall fights we're going to see are not going to be good as all. Like they're going to be terrible, basically. I plan on doing a much deeper dive as we start to get more data here more viewership numbers, more announced fights, ideally some pay-per-view results. I'll just say this. One of the things I don't like about the Fox deal right now is how I'm interpreting the way the network is looking at this. I think on the surface, when you look at how important... Actually, let's start here. I think when you look at how important boxing is to each platform, it's by far the least important to Fox, and it's not even close. On the surface it looks like there's a strong commitment to on-air marketing, shoulder programming, overall promotion from Fox. And there is. There is. But a word of caution on that. If the money for that is coming out of projected revenue, like I said last time, if it's projected pay-per-view sales, and we've already kind of seen some hints at this, like the last shoulder programming they talked about Wilder Fury 2 being on Fox pay-per-view. 
if they don't hit that those goals, then that actually works against the deal, not for it. And what that essentially means is that the PBC is paying for the shoulder programming on a credit card right now. And Fox is happy to oblige in the cost given of how low the overall commitment money is from Fox's point of view. And yes, you heard that right. For the sport of boxing, yes, they're paying a large amount of money. But from what Fox pays for other programming, it's actually a tiny amount of money for them. I just think they're way less committed to boxing right now than any other sport in their profile. It may not even be that close for them. But they are delivering on the shoulder programming right now. Let's see when that credit card payment comes due, if the ratings, the pay-per-view numbers, all those things are there. Because if they're there, everything's going to work out fine. But that's not the point of this episode. The point is to go over worst-case scenarios. Again, I'm headed on, on, on how, I'm focused on how things could head south. Things could head south real quick on this. But let's get to the meat of this topic. What happens if a few of these potentially negative outcomes start to affect each other? This is where it gets real interesting. Going back to DAZN, let's say we go down a pathway where DAZN isn't successful and can't build their subs. Let's say they make that Canelo-Jacobs fight, but none of the other fights they're talking about, the Klitschko deal, let's say they can't uh, match up Srisaket-Sorong-Visai, like none of that other crap is pay-per-view worthy, and it's just sort of US-based cards, just one squash match after another. You know, not only is that bad for everyone who subscribes to the zone, but more importantly, it will end up encouraging the other broadcasting entities to put on more low-level pay-per-views. We've already talked about how they put the salary system out of whack, so just in order to compete, Fox, Showtime, ESPN, they're going to have to put these fights on pay-per-view. As a consumer, you'll continue to see fights like Crawford Khan and Spence Garcia on pay-per-view if, models, if that model fails. Like You'll even see more of them. And here's the problem with those types of pay-per-view fights. They make the level of programming that you get on Showtime, Fox, and ESPN worse. It goes back to the point I made about what's happening in the UK right now. When you get a lot of uh, lower-level pay-per-view fights, it really hurts your regular programming. It's not just that fighters like Crawford, Spence, Garcia, etc. go off regular TV. It's that you also need to fill the undercards. Like Jared Hurd and Luis Ortiz were on Wilder and Fury's undercard. And Jack Brown, like that, you know, Badu Jack, Marcus Brown, that was on the Pacquiao Broner undercard. Those are good fights. If these lower-level pay-per-views are successful, you're going to see a lot more of them in 2019. Like it could be a legit pillar of what Fox is trying to do. And Showtime, I mean, we don't know if Wilder Fury 2 will be on Showtime or Fox, but like Showtime could easily have another pay-per-view. I mean, if Pacquiao, if Mayweather Pacquiao 2 happens, I'm guessing that's on Showtime. I don't think they would let Mayweather fight anywhere else. That compounds the problem in real ways. And guess what? All of this will get compounded even more if Showtime and Fox don't end up playing nice together. Last year, we got 11 full U.S.-based cards on Showtime and then three one-offs that were all foreign-based. Now, PBC needs to fill 10 Fox cards, probably the same amount, if not more, Showtime cards, some FS1 cards, and then maybe three or four Showtime pay-per-views, maybe three or four Fox pay-per-views, maybe only two Showtime pay-per-views, we don't know. 
But what if they had to put out that many shows and Heyman reverts back to the guy that forced HBO to put on a lot of crap where it's just, you know, A-side squash matches instead of the guy that partnered with Espinosa to put on great fights on Showtime last year? It's real easy to see how that can make everything worse. At that point, all the fights are stay busy fights if you have to fill that many cards. I mean, just having a fighter who's willing to fight three or four times a year who gets injured, like that is that has real effects. Like you're sort of depending on every fighter in your stable to fight a lot more often than they're fighting right now. And don't think I'm going to leave top ranking ESPN out of this discussion. If they end up taking advantage of their deal with ESPN and the numbers start to decline, especially if their deal is performance-based, you probably can't – well, first of all, you definitely – the aggressive bidding they've been doing on purse bids, that goes away. Especially if we start to see Crawford, Lomachenko on pay-per-view and ESPN+, Plus, maybe not necessarily doing great numbers there. They may not have a real pathway to get some of those incredible numbers that they were getting on regular ESPN. And given what could be a massive amount of boxing on all the other platforms, like this could get ugly real quick. Add in the fact that it's tougher to make these big fights because there'll just be so much boxing on that no one cares. No one cares about building towards bigger fights and no one will want to pay for them because you already have this glut of crappy pay-per-views or lower level pay-per-views. Let's not call them crappy. I mean, the UFC already puts on 12 pay-per-views a year. If you add in 10, 12 more from boxing, some from wrestling, all of a sudden there's a pay-per-view event on every two weeks like no one can keep up. It's not just, you can't even, you literally can't even build to the next pay-per-view because you're just trying to, like, get them out. Like, the way pay-per-view works really well is when you have several weeks, if not months, to build towards the big fight. And there's just not enough media attention at a certain point to build them properly. If there's no competition to improve the regular week-in, week-out programming... All that suffers, small pay-per-views start ruling the day, then we'll just have a bunch of constant crap on TV, the ratings will go back down, none of the deals are going to get re- renewed, and the pay-per-view cycle gets even worse because the networks will want out of, like, they'll just say no to everything. Again, I do want to say I don't think any of this is going to happen, but I always like to look at things through pathways. And all... It's almost that each pathway has a percentage likelihood of of actually happening in the real world. And this scenario where everything goes wrong for every platform, it's not that likely. I think it's way more likely that something goes wrong for one of the platforms. But here's what I will say. Like, there's a lot of elements here that resemble several major crises that have already happened in the U.S. I mean, just look at the financial crisis that happened about 10 years ago. Like... That all started, and once it headed south, like there was, it took massive government intervention to stop it from, from really going bad. And that's clearly not going to happen in boxing. Like if, if everything really goes wrong in boxing, no one's really going to care. They're just going to end all their network deals and, and, and you know, hope that people figure it out. I mean, and there's kind of, it's like when you look at the elements for this, I don't think it'll happen, but you do see some similar elements. I mean, there's like this weird bubble in fighter salaries happening right now. There's a lot of these elements are tied together. Like you can see how it's easy if one thing goes wrong, like two or three things could, two or three things could go wrong real quick. I mean, I still think at the end of the day, just the level of competition 
for these deals and the way that they're incentive-based, I still think it incentivizes bigger fights, certainly big the biggest in-house fights to get made. And I think it does incentive other big fights to get made. But I don't think it's out of the question that this could happen. I really don't. And I do think it's actually probably likely that one of these platforms isn't going to work out the, or it isn't going to work out the way they want it to. Okay. I've gone on for long enough on this. It's been a fun little weird, dark, negative dive, but let's go into the preview section. On Saturday, January 26th, Fox puts on the second show of their deal with PBC. We have Keith Thurman fighting Josecito Lopez for Thurman's WBA welterweight title. Also on the card, Adam Kalnowski versus Gerald Washington at heavyweight, and I'm going to butcher this name, Tukstock. Nian Bayar and Claudio Marrero at featherweight. Odds for the fights, they're not great. Thurman's about a 50 to 1 favorite in most places. Kanaski is like a 7 or 8 to 1 range, which I actually think is, is probably off. It's one of the great, one of the interesting things about odds. I think I sort of put it at 10, maybe 12 to 1 as sort of that defining mark where the underdog, because if you look at it, 12 to 1, the comeback or the take back is usually about 6 to 1. Uh, which gives the underdog a much higher chance of winning. That those are gambling terms, but I look at that ten or twelve to one. It, you know, even at eight to one, I think Gerald Washington, for instance, I think he has a real pathway to victory here. Um, Nian Bayar is about a five to one favorite against Marrero. Like that's relatively close. I'd love to see closer fights, but that's not a bad fight. And this is one of those Fox cards. I'm okay with it. Like I'm not in love, but I am okay with it. And Part of that is we just haven't seen Keith Thurman in quite a while. Like his last fight was March 4th of 2017 against Danny Garcia. That's literally his last fight. Like I'm okay with seeing Keith Thurman fight someone like Lopez in his comeback fight despite those long odds. I'm not okay with how long Thurman has taken off in between fights. But his last two fights were against Danny Garcia and Sean Porter, which essentially gives Thurman the best resume of an active champ currently in the welterweight division. I'm not counting Manny Pacquiao. I think his paper title is bullshit. For Thurman, though, like this is his comeback fight. It's not his comeback year. This is his comeback fight. And if he wins this and we see him two more times this year, including once in a really big fight, then this is great. It's the correct way to build. I have no problem with this. And it's fine as a card that builds him back as a fighter. If we only see him once more, and it's not a major opponent, then let's start seeing the WBA actually apply some pressure on him. Like, he should be fighting a real guy. Like I said, I like the Adam Kanaski, I like, I like the heavyweight undercard here. He's clearly someone the PBC is looking to build as a potential wilder opponent. And Gerald Washington is a decent test for him who has a real pathway to victory. Um... You know, Washington has lost his two higher-level fights at heavyweight, but he's still an interesting opponent. And it's not like Kanaski has, has a great resume. He's really his major wins are Charles Martin and Archer Spielka, like neither of which are world beaters. Um, Niambar Niambayar is an Olympic silver medalist who is fighting for a title. And he's only had 10 fights, but he has seen some tougher competition. I mean, let's see how this ends up as a TV fight. 
the odds reflect, um, you know, that there are going to be good fights for the undercard. Also on Saturday, January 26th, DAZN is putting on at least an interesting main event fighter. Jaime Mugia is taking on Takashi uh, Inoue for the WBO Junior Middleweight title. Also on the card, Jesus Rojas is fighting Zhu Khan for Rojas's WBA featherweight title. And there's like a few other interesting Golden Boy fighters or prospects on the card, mostly in not interesting fights. I mean, Mugia, like the odds have him somewhere between like 35 to 1, as high as 60 to 1. I think, look, he's, for me, Mungia is still at the point where we'll likely learn a lot about him each time we see him. And while Inoue is not a real test, I'm interested in seeing him fight against different styles because I'm not totally convinced with Mungia yet. And before anyone scoffs at that, I mean, look, I think Liam Smith showed some real weaknesses in Mungia, and I'm just waiting to see that fight where we see some different levels to what Mungia has to offer, like what he has in his arsenal. Um, but still, fully noted here, this is a fight Mungia should win. It's it's a fight card where you're like, given what we saw last weekend from DAZN and given this weekend, like these, like we're not setting the world on fire here. Rojas, he's like a five to one favorite over Kent uh, over Zukan, so it's like that's at least somewhat well, somewhat well matched. I mean, especially compared to what we've been seeing on DAZN recently. All right, now we get to the real big one. On Saturday, February 2nd, ESPN and ESPN Plus are putting on a really great fight card. The ESPN portion, we have Oscar Valdez versus Carmine Tomasone for Valdez's WBO's featherweight title. And Richard Comey versus Isa Chaniev for the vacant IBF lightweight title. And then on the ESPN Plus portion of the card, Teofimo Lopez is fighting Diego Magdaleno at lightweight and Elider Alvarez is fighting Sergey Kovalev in a rematch for Alvarez's WBO light heavyweight title. This is really interesting. Like I said earlier, I'm doing my deep dive uh, next episode on how ESPN is handling this, especially how they're com- handling it compared to what they did for the UFC. So in terms of odd, I mean, let's look at the undercard first. Okay, so... Uh, Comey and Chaniev and, and Lopez Magdaleno, they're coming in like around 12 to 1, but these are like opening lines. I don't know how exactly they'll move. Um, I do think they may come down. I mean, both opponents here do have legit pathways to victory. Oscar Valdez versus Car- Carmine Tomasone is like 50 to 1 or 101, whatever. It's a squash match. Here's what I'd say, though. And, and then the main event, um, Alvarez and Kovalev, is basically a pickup fight. I mean, it's well under 2 to 1. It's a great fight. Um, so here's what I'd say. Let's start with the big favorite. Like, this is Valdez's comeback fight from that war against Quig. I'm okay with a fight like this, especially coming off an injury layoff, and especially if it builds to something else. If it's part of that narrative that does build to something else, I mean, we just talked about it for the PBC with Thurman. As far as Comey and Chaniev, like, it's a title fight. I mean, I think Comey should win, but, it like, it's a decent... It could end up being really solid television. I love Teofimo Lopez versus Diego Magdaleno. I mean, I think the odds are too high for this. I think Magdaleno definitely has pathways to victory, but I fully expect Lopez to win. This is a huge fight for both fighters. I mean, 
we're going to see here whether the Teofimo hype is warranted in a lot of ways because Magdaleno is legit. I mean, he's not elite, but he is. He had a title. His fight with Dogbe was a great fight. I don't see any reason why he, you know, we wouldn't see another great fight coming from him. I mean, yes, Dogbe did lose. I don't know if that exposes Magdaleno all that much. Like Magdaleno is legit as like a B-level or B-plus level fighter. And for Teofimo Lopez right now in his career, that's a big step up. Like, that's a great fight. We're going to learn a lot about Teofimo Lopez. And I love fights like this for prospects that are on this level. Like, it's a very good, it's not necessarily a great regular ESPN offering. And then this is a great ESPN Plus offering. Like, I'm not even previewing the light heavyweight fight. I think it's... You know, it's a great weight class, and this is a great fight in it. Like, remember, in that fight last August, Kovalev was like a 6-1 to favorite. It was really fun in the ring. You saw Alvarez surprise Kovalev, look good for a couple rounds, and then Kovalev take control and sort of win by boxing, and then Alvarez knock him out. And now there's a lot of questions. Like, what's going on in the, in the career and life of Sergei Kovalev? There's these weird allegations against him. And then can he come back from a knockout loss like that? I mean, this wasn't like a Ward Loblo, you know, sort of knockout, like, you know, where the wind got taken out of his sails like that. He got legit punched in the head and knocked out. Alvarez, how great is he? Was that just sort of a bigger step-up fight for him where he did it once? Or is he legit? So many questions. Anyways, quick notes. I've already talked about what I'm doing next episode. Um, I want to cover the DAZN fights or the DAZN news in general of what's been going on. It's sort of in their world in deeper detail. Um, and I also, I haven't done a Ring article in, in a couple weeks. I want to do my next article on this deep dive, sort of as a companion piece to this deep dive. I just think that was more interesting than my end of the year episode in terms of value. I thought that would have been actually... Maybe ended up being a dry article, um, and and hopefully there's more of the news and notes section for for next episode. I've, uh, I've I've droned on here for a while. I've rambled, but it's it's fun. It's it's really fun to look at what both the positive and negative outcomes are for this because I think it is real easy to say, especially for those people who've been boxing fans for a long time you kind of know how this could go south. You like, this is a sport. Part of the reason I started this whole podcast is because this is a sport that traditionally abuses its best customers. That's what it does. And I think there's hope. Like when you get this much money and this many entities coming in for all the the network divides, and I haven't really talked about it that much because I actually think right now, there still are good fights to make in-house at a lot of places. But for all that stuff, I think there is hope in this world. Like, this is a boxing world where I'm still hopeful. There's just too much money at stake. And, and there's too many smart people in power who even it's in their selfish best interest to make some of these good fights. So I'll end on that. There's a lot of other stuff I'm going to talk about. Um, in the coming weeks. One of the things, I'll, I'll give one final shout out. Definitely shout out, I, I tweeted this out, the Rafe Bartholomew Respect Box newsletter 
loved his last little tidbit where he got into the sort of Adrian, Adrian Wojciechowski, like the Wojification of boxing reporting that's happening right now. It's a really interesting topic to me because we've now gotten, like it kind of marks a certain point in where boxing is as a sport where that matters. I mean, previously that never mattered because boxing was never on the bottom line ticker on ESPN or on Fox. And now that kind of reporting matters. I mean, I think that's, it's both like an interest. It's, it's an interesting subplot that gets kind of negatively weird, but it's also something that from when you take a step back and look at it is like, actually a pretty significant thing for the sport in a positive way. But anyways, interesting thing that he, that, that, that newsletter pointed out and, and I do appreciate that. So shout out to that. Okay. I'm going to stop rambling. Enjoy the fights, especially enjoy that Super Bowl weekend card. That's going to be a fun night on the Saturday of the Super Bowl. And then obviously the Sunday of the Super Bowl will just be fun. I'm looking forward to that, and and even the fights the, this upcoming Saturday. They they stay busy, but they're not terrible. It's actually like for stay busy fights, it's not too bad of a night. Enjoy these fights. I'll be back in two weeks on a regular sort of Tuesday Wednesday schedule. Goodbye. Did you get what you was looking for?